0: Hey, so good to be with you. Yeah, I I really appreciate getting to um, know Pastor John and uh, Pastor Derek and other pastors here when I was working with InterVarsity and just uh, delighted to be back with you all and to um, just have some fun jumping into Scripture today. One of my favorite things is getting into the Word and really diving in. And one thing for me that I I gotta tell you as I think about this is, recently I was watching um, a movie and it was a really good, intense, suspenseful movie. And about halfway through the movie, or a little over halfway through, I texted my girlfriend and said, hey, you need to watch this movie. And so she's like, all right, I'm starting it now. And I uh, finished the movie and about 15, 20 minutes after the movie was done, she texts me and says, that was a really good movie." And I was like, well, something doesn't add up here, because I texted you when I was over halfway through the movie, and now it's only 15, 20 minutes after the movie. How are you already done with the movie? And there was this long pause, and then she finally texted back and said, so something you don't know about me is I watch movies at 1.5 speed. Now. For me, I had to check my pulse because, like, I like to, like, immerse myself in a movie. Like, I like the lights off. I like the surround sound. I like to get the popcorn out and really get into it. And the same for me is with the Word, like with the Scripture. I don't like to just, like, 1.5 speed it. I like us to sit, camp down, you know, like, really get into it and immerse ourselves. And so I'm really excited to jump into this passage we're going to look at today. And before we jump into that passage, one of the things I wanted to throw out was this this. I had a, a person ask me this question recently. They asked a question. They said, do you think it's better to be a pessimist or an optimist? Okay. Show of hands. Who thinks better to be pessimist? Yes. Better to be optimist. Okay. A lot of hands. So I, in my head, I was thinking optimist because like, I think it's generally better to be positive about things and um, to like, you know, look on the bright side. But a lot of times, optimists can get accused of not living in reality, right? On the flip side, pessimism, while often people say is more grounded in reality or something, can often lead to, as we know, like negative or suspicious thoughts right, or things like that. And so what this person offered was that there might be a third way. And the third way they put out and suggested was hope. And that this would be their idea of what the Christian idea um, to have is to have hope, to not deny current reality, but at the same time have God in the equation and see what God could do in that. And this theme of hope is laced through the whole book of the Bible, all through the scriptures. There's all these messages of hope. Probably one of the most famous verses on hope is jeremiah twenty nine eleven some of you might even have it like on a bracelet or a tattoo or something, but um, jeremiah twenty nine eleven says "For I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord plans to give you a hope and a future right and there 's this pivotal part in uh, the life of Jeremiah and the story of uh, Judah, um, where this verse meant so much to believe that God had a future and hope. One of the things, though, that's interesting is a lot of people, they quote this verse, but they have never seen how Jeremiah actually lived this out, how he did it. And so what I want to talk today is not necessarily about what that hope was that he had, but how he hoped. And so if you go a few, ver- a few chapters later to Jeremiah chapter 32, we see a really interesting story of how Jeremiah hoped. Not just that he hoped, but how he hoped. So if you've got Bibles, you can look at Jeremiah 32. And we'll open it up. And for me, when I jump into a passage, I think it's really important to help understand the context to ask a few just basic questions. So sometimes these questions are like, when is this happening? Where is it happening? Who's involved? Stuff like that. And so if I just bring you up to speed with a little bit of like when and where this is happening, when it's happening is really interesting because this is right at the time when the Babylonian Empire is invading um, Israel, uh, or Judah. And they have taken over almost all the land, and they are finally besieging the capital. It's like the last city standing so they this huge army is around them and this is only months before in history when jerusalem fell to this empire so it's besieging them and you can just imagine like the dread and the trepidation of the people in the city as they are like thinking you know what's going to happen is our future certain does, is god really in control does he really have this And all these questions they might be feeling at this time and the pressure of this imposing imperial army that's coming on them. There's probably so many questions in their minds. I think another question to ask is, where does this happen? So I already said Jerusalem, but there's a guy named Jeremiah, right? And he's a prophet. And because of some of the things he said, he's kind of under house arrest. He's like in the royal palace, but he's in the chambers, and it's kind of like he's in prison there. He's not allowed to leave because um, the king hasn't liked what he said. And so he's there. A couple other characters that are involved, so we ask the who. So there's Jeremiah, there's his cousin, and then there's a few witnesses and some guards, okay? So that's pretty much all the characters. And so... Jeremiah, so we have when, where, who. Let's look at what. What does Jeremiah do? When he hears that his cousin is selling his property, Jeremiah is the closest relative, and so that means he's what's called the kinsman redeemer. So he's like the first person to really like in line to buy this property. And so for him, he hears that this property is going to be his to buy. And so Jeremiah decides to buy it, and he calls the witnesses in, has them like sign, uh, like you know, he signs the transaction, and the witnesses watch it. He rolls it up, puts it in a jar, and gives it to his scribe, and says, "Keep this in a jar for a really long time." And that's what they would do. They would take um, and write down like the transaction of this property, put it in a jar, and have it for there for a long time. Now. When I was reading this, it was easy to just pass over this passage. But then I started to think about it, and I was like, who in their right mind would do this? He didn't really have to buy the property. And this property, if you read about it, is actually outside of Jerusalem. So it's under enemy occupation. It's currently not even available. Like, the enemy army has it. It looks like the land is going to get destroyed. This is kind of like if I said, you know, I've got a property that I'd like to sell you that's in the Ukraine right now. Or if I said, like, um, you know, the middle, uh, like some in the Middle East that's like, um, I'm going to sell you. Or maybe even better, I have property on the moon um, that I want to sell you. It doesn't seem like this could ever actually be his property. Because right now, not only is he, like, in prison, but not to mention his um, city is under siege. So it's like, will he ever even get to see this, right? Right? Why would Jeremiah buy property that, I I think, you know, we can ask the questions of like when, where, who, what, but I think really ultimately the big question is why? Why would he buy this field? Why would he do it? If we look at verse 14, I think it gives us a key uh, insight into this. It says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so that it'll last for a long time. For, now whenever you're reading the Bible and you get to that part where it says for, that's like the key word that's kind of revealing to you why or the purpose. It says this, For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says: Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. And so, Jeremiah, he, even though his circumstances are bleak, he is so convinced. Of the promises, so convinced of the hope that Israel has in the future, that he's willing to put his money where his mouth is, right? He's willing to not just claim that he has hope for a future, he's willing to step into that hope. And I think that Jeremiah shows two key features of Christian hope, two key features of Christian hope. He shows both risk and action. Risk and action. Now, when I think about risk, um, there's a lot of times where like, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of coo- like, much cooler stories of risk and faith in the Bible. Like, like I, I just imagine a bunch of the heroes of the faith in heaven all sitting in a circle and you know, sharing stories of the big steps of faith they made. So maybe there's like David there, and he's like, oh yeah, I slew a giant, Elijah. I called fire down from heaven, you know, um, Noah, I built an ark. Um, Somebody else, like Daniel in the lion's den, somebody else says, I raised someone from the dead, and then it comes to Jeremiah. I I bought a field. Um, And um, it's like, uh, it doesn't seem on par with the rest of them, right? But if you really think about this, this must have looked foolish. Because I can just imagine the witnesses that came in to watch this transaction and they're like watching and they're like very confused and maybe look at each other and do one of these and they're like, does he realize that this land is under enemy occupation and he's buying it? Like he's not only in prison, but he just, how is he ever going to see this? They must have been so confused. And it must have looked so like there was no way this could happen. But see, I think that one of the things is... Eugene Peterson, he writes this quote that I just love. And um, this quote says, All acts of hope expose themselves to ridicule because they seem impractical. But then he writes this, Hope determined actions participate in the future God is bringing into being. It's not easy to hope because the immediate evidence is often against it. And see Jeremiah, he was so convinced of what God was going to do in the future. He was it, Jeremiah was living as though the future already existed. It just was going to take a while for reality to catch up to his hope. The hope was there and he was willing to take a step and risk in it. And all acts of hope require risk. They don't look like they're going to work out. That's kind of the point. But then there's this other part to what he did. Not only did he risk but he also took action. He acted on what he believed. And for him, it was not good enough to just say, I believe something, not good enough to just claim it, but he wanted to do something about it. He had to put legs to what he believed. And so for him, he did something. I remember there's this verse in James that a lot of people quote that says, faith without works is dead. And a lot of times people get confused on this, but the thing is, he's not talking about like salvific faith there. He's not talking about that. He's saying that if you claim to believe something, if you claim to have hope or faith in something and you don't put action towards it, then you've reduced hope to nothing more than wishful thinking. Faith and hope have to have action action with it. And see, action is what gives hope back its teeth again. It's what actually makes the rubber meet the road. It's no longer just something you believe up here, but it's something you live out. And for him, this mundane and seeming so simple act of just buying a field is what made the hope of God visible to those around him. So many times I feel like I've been caught in this and I've heard other people where it's just like we pray something, but we're not willing to do anything about it. We pray and ask just God to do something, but we're not willing to take steps in that. And I think for myself, I came to a place when I read this that I just wanted to resolve that I would pray no prayer that I was not willing to also take a step of action in if God so asked me to to pray prayers where I'm not just going to be this passive recipient of it. And some of the prayers, you know, they're they're too big for me to really do anything about it, but I am going to, if God shows me an action, I'm going to align my actions with the hope I claim to have. So he had both risk and he had action. But there is a third feature that Jeremiah shows in this. Prayer. So I was really excited to hear you guys took some uh, time. Was it last weekend to do prayer vigil, um, prayer? And if you read further on in this passage, there's a really interesting thing that Jeremiah does. He prays to God, and he says in verse 17, um, he's uh, he's talking, and in, in verse 17 he says. Um, first he calls God sovereign Lord and says, you've made heaven and earth um, by your great power and outstretched arm. And then he says this, nothing is too hard for you. Or another version is nothing is too difficult for you. Now what I love about Jeremiah through the whole book, and I don't know if any other book in the Bible does this, but almost every time Jeremiah prays, it records God's answer. And the reason why is because prayer, it's not just the one-sided monologue. It's a dialogue. Like, there's engagement. And so Jeremiah, he says, there is nothing too hard for you, Lord. And then later in the same chapter, God responds and says, I am the Lord. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, one of the things that when me and my brothers um, connect and hang out, I have five brothers and whenever we hang out, we're big movie buffs, as I just you know, probably told you earlier in my movie story. But um, we're big movie people. And so a lot of times when we are like, hanging out, how we connect is through movie quotes. And so we'll say something, and no one else will know what we're talking about, but we know, because we, you know, we've watched this movie a gazillion times or whatever, and so we know what that's referring to. So I don't know, just in here, and I just thought we could have a little bit of fun with this, but I'm just curious if there's any, like, movie quotes that you know, or any classic quotes that you're like, oh, that's one of my favorite quotes from a movie. So feel free. Anybody want to shout one out and just uh, share a movie quote with us? I'll be your huckleberry. <laughs> What's the other one? You, can't handle, you can't, can't handle the truth if I only had a... Brain. I had a brain, yes. And that's uh, Wizard of Oz, right? Yep. Uh, any other ones? Do or do not. There is no trial. Oh, I like that one. Star Wars, Yoda. Maybe a couple others. Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> what was it? We're going to need a bigger boat. Ah, Jaws. Yes, we're going to need a bigger boat. If I say, like, you know... Um, I, I have a dream, right? It's not a movie quote, but you know exactly who I'm talking about Martin Luther King Jr. I, okay, so I said I do this with my brothers. I also, with my nieces and nephews, sometimes we're wrestling around, and I have a bunch of nieces and nephews, like 10 now, okay? And we're like all wrestling all- around during Christmas time and having fun, and one of my nieces, she's there, and I grab this plastic sword, put it up to her um, neck, and I, um, and I do not know where this came from, but just, I blurt out as I do it, I just go, my name is Enigo Montoya, you killed my father prepare to die. And, um, and she's like all freaked out, and she has no idea what I'm talking about. But see, here's the thing is this. When it's just like how we know quotes, and we can know exactly the scene when we hear that quote. In the same way, the Jewish people, the original readers, when they heard Jeremiah say this and say, I am the Lord, is there anything too difficult for me? Twice in one spot, they knew exactly what that was referencing. Because see, way back here at the start of the Jewish race, there was a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And when they were almost 100 years old, God came and visited Abraham. And he said, by this time next year, you are going to have a son. And his wife, Sarah, in the distance, hears this and she laughs. Okay. She's like, no way. I'm like, you know, almost I'm pushing 90 here. And um, and God hears it and he goes, Why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah peeks her head around the corner, and is like, I didn't laugh. And God's like, oh no, you laughed. And then he says, and I am the Lord and there is nothing too hard for me. And Jeremiah is saying, in the same way that God was with them back then, he is the same God that we serve today. the same God that was with Abraham and Sarah, who thought there was no way possible that God can move in their circumstances, this is the same God who promised to move in our circumstances. And even though our circumstances look bleak, we have a God, and we know that there is nothing too hard from him. And decades later, not only did this um, place, Jerusalem, get uh, restored but hundreds of years after that there was a woman who had, um, an angel appeared to and says you are going to have a son and he is going to be the Messiah and she said to him how can this be for I'm a virgin and he says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will have a son and nothing will be impossible Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. So the same God that met Abraham and Sarah back then, who was also with Jeremiah, was also with Mary, is the same God we serve today. And I think that it's not good enough for us to just believe it here, but to actually walk it out and to believe that we've got a God who doesn't just promise hope, but invites us to walk in it. And so I'm curious, what is the area in your life where it just looks like, I'm not sure how God's going to work in this? I don't know all the answers, but I know that I'm getting this tug to step into this what is that area? Is it something in like a job or in a relationship or anything like that? What is it that God is inviting you to step into and to have hope and to believe his words more than the current circumstances? Jeremiah was a man who is not just content to claim he had hope. He was willing to step into it. I remember when Pastor John mentioned we started a group called Inner Varsity at Davenport. And I remember when I came there, I had no interest in actually doing ministry there. I just took a side job as an English tutor there. And I remember hearing that there was no Christian group there. And so I started to get a burden for the students to see them come to know Jesus and I met some other students, and we didn't have any like group or anything formally put together, so we just started walking around campus and asking God to give us eyes to see what he could do on the campus. And um, we planted it in faith, just believing that God would meet us there. And the group grew and um, became an impact on campus. And we had churches um, like Journey come alongside and partner with us. And the group is still continuing to this day. And so for me, it was something where that was an act of faith. I didn't know what it was going to look like. And I think that for all of us, there's sometimes where it's a ministry, sometimes it's just... Um, a friendship or relationship or something with uh, someone in your family, but there's something that could be broken and you're believing that God would restore it. What would it look like this week to take a walk and just say, you know what, I'm going to believe that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. And I'm just going to ask God, would you open my eyes to see what you could do in this situation? God, um, I just, I, I believe that you are the God who said there is nothing too difficult and that you sent your son to bring hope, that you are the God of hope, and that on the cross you bought hope for us. Jesus, I just pray um, for myself, for this group, and for us that we would be outposts of hope, beacons of hope, so that when people see the actions and the risks we take and the prayers we pray, they'd be like, you know what? I want that hope too. I want to live like that. Pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.